Welcome to the Empathic Mastery Show. I'm your host, Jennifer Moore, and I'm so glad you're here. This is a place where we talk about what it means to be highly sensitive and empathic, how this impacts all aspects of our lives, and we explore tools, resources, and solutions so we can shift from absorbing all the thoughts, feelings, and energy of the world around us to being beacons for calm, love, and healing. Hey there, everybody. It's Jen, and I am so excited to be here. I know I always say that, and I always say that because I am always really delighted to bring a guest on to talk about all the ways that being highly sensitive and empathic is impacting all the different aspects of our life. And so today I have Jesse Veritas on the show. Now, Jesse is a 40-something-year-old from Adelaide, Australia. And at the age of 18, you guys, he traveled across the world solo for almost a year. It takes a lot of guts. Let's just say that. So I'm giving mad props to Jesse. Now, currently, he divides his time between studying law at university hosting the podcasts, Utterly Unscripted, and Veritas True Crime, and sleeping. I can totally appreciate all those things. And I met Jesse because Jesse asked me to be on his podcast, Utterly Unscripted. We had a total blast. It was awesome. We just, we could have talked for hours and hours and hours because we were just talking about all the ways of being highly sensitive and empathic impacts all different aspects of our life. And Jesse started talking about how being a very sensitive child himself, he had a lot of really intense experiences. And what he ended up doing was trying to find a way to sort of shut it down and suppress it. So I asked Jesse if he'd be willing to join me today for this conversation, because, you know, a lot of times we're talking about the impact of being empathic, but we don't always talk about the impact of trying to shut that shit down. So Jesse has agreed to have this conversation with me. And you guys, I am thrilled to talk with, to, to have this conversation. So Jesse, I'm so glad you're here. Welcome. Hi, Jen. Thank you so much for having me. It's my first time being a guest on a podcast. So I have a completely different view now. <laughs> yes. And I, I'm so honored to get to be your first interviewer and have a conversation. I promise I'll be gentle. <laughs> and, and I'm sure you and I are going to have an absolute blast. And as both a guest and a podcaster myself, I will say there's a lot to be said for being in the hot seat as the guest, because it really gives you an opportunity to experience what it feels like to be on the other side. Yeah. That's exactly what I was thinking while you were introducing me. And I thought, wow, actually, that's me that you're talking about. <laughs> yeah, it's a bit it weird. is you. Yeah, yeah. Well, and so, you know, you and I talked about the thing that really has affected you is that you are an empath. You are a sense of, well, I don't know if you identify or you would say you are an empath, but you definitely identify as highly sensitive, empathic, probably, I don't know if you'd use the word psychic, but yeah. At like, one time, yes, I did. About how do you identify? Like, what would you say? Well, <laughs> these days I just identify as he, him. <laughs> <laughs> no, they, them too? <laughs> Not yet. <laughs> yeah, I just, I'm sort of personally migrating over to a lot of they, them for everybody and everything because I figure it's just kind of the equal opportunity. So I don't, if you somebody calls anybody. me they, they call me them, <laughs> they call me she, they call me, I'm like, whatever, knock yourself yeah. out. Yeah. The, and, and you know, I, I, I sort of think about we're all one energy anyway. So the whole he, him, she, her is kind of like a very earthly thing. It, it yeah. Let's just yeah, don't drop even it all. get me started. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> on on I mean, I just I think the gender prisons we have in this in the world are so, you know, are so lit. Like, why? Why does clothing define our gender? Like all these things that are just like, what? Does this even have to do with anything other than social limitation? Exactly. Yeah. But how awesome is it, though, that people now in 2022 are able to express themselves more to their true self without yes. a whole heap of... I mean, they're still being judged. I still think it's pretty crappy. But... Um, it's way better than it was when I was a kid. If a guy went out wearing a dress or something, he was called a pansy or he was called lots worse 
And I, I experienced that myself, you know, as a kid who was struggling with gender identity and sexuality and things like that. So um, I, I get it and I love it. I don't do it anymore, but hey, more props to you if you do. Yeah. 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 I actually uh, sadly had a friend many years ago who was a um, like a burlesque dancer, but male and uh, was coming home from a performance and was um, beaten within an inch of his life um, because he was dressed up in a costume, like dancing costume, like, you know, and it was just like, but God bless our planet and the people who somehow think that, like, if you are wearing a dancing costume, that that is warrants yeah. violence. But, but can enough I just of say, all that. Mind your own business. Like, mind seriously, your own business. mind your own business. Seriously, yeah. absolutely. It's so, none of your business. But let's go back to talking about. Let's go back what to I you and talking as. about yeah, I know, how your weird. sensitivity. So I do I this guess on my, utterly unscripted. <laughs> so I guess my question for you is: When did you first? I'll start with the question: When did you first realize that you were? highly sensitive like when did you start being like i'm not like all the other reindeers like oh really young um i was at school so i was uh primary like elementary school age and um so i have to say too that i come from a long line of people who are highly sensitive highly intuitive um my father was my grandmother is um, you know, I, I had a lot of influences in my life where I was exposed to it very early. Um, I had a very close relationship with my aunt who was not so much these days, but back then was very much into, oh, I have to have this crystal here because it will do this for me. And she would teach me the different things. And she also taught me when holding on to a crystal, how to tune in to the energy from the crystal, which I think was the starting block of tuning in as an empath with people. Because it's you transfer that energy through the crystal. What she didn't teach me, though, was how to protect myself from all that energy that I was absorbing. And so as an eight-year-old, I suffered with heavy depression. Um, anxiety, stress, things that eight-year-olds really probably shouldn't be experiencing. Things that eight-year-olds really shouldn't be experiencing. And yet, you know, what you're saying, and, and you just said something that I agree with so wholeheartedly. And I think that this is one of the really big problems with so much sort of psychic development in the world, is that we're being taught how to open ourselves, we're being taught how to receive more information, the goal, you know, often the goal is like, learn more, get more. And it's not taking into consideration that there is a, there's a portion of us who are already way too open, like the satellite dish is receiving all the transmissions. And we need to learn how to like, discern what's, 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 a, what's useful, what's not useful how to process that information in an effective and useful way and how to fil create effective filters and shields. So your experience and your experience is very much the same as my experience in the sense of I spent my childhood wide open, very curious, learning about things and trying to open up more, but no ability or an understanding of how to protect myself. So I'm right there with you. Uh, none of the people around me knew how to protect themselves. They just knew, you know, they would, so they would see things without knowing. They would be around people and really take on all of their, their stuff. I'm being really diplomatic because, as you know, utterly unscripted, I swear a lot. Um, you so are I'm very welcome. <laughs> like, like, drop the F bomb, honey. Yeah. Yeah. I always, I always wonder, like, do other people do that or am I the only podcaster? <laughs> am I the only podcaster who's swearing? <laughs> I love the F bomb so much that I have a friend who has another friend who does crocheted like like should they make they're making they crocheted bombs with like a like a, a, a I don't know a patch on it that says F and I'm getting a set of small medium and large crocheted F bombs that I can drop anytime I need to I love it <laughs> yeah please send me pictures when you've got that because I would love I to will, see I will absolutely yeah but yeah so back to back to talking about how to not you know we weren't 
protecting ourselves. So I all I was doing was just absorbing everybody's bullshit. And it didn't matter who I came in touch with or who I was around. I, I just knew that I was absorbing stuff. So I didn't need the crystals anymore. Because that's how I started was here, hold my crystal. You know, as an eight, nine year old, I must have seemed like an absolute idiot coming up to me, <laughs> coming up to people and saying, here, hold my crystal. And then when they would give it back and I was saying, oh, actually, I, <laughs> I can see all this stuff that's going on. And then I was just a stupid kid. But as I got older, so around maybe 12, 13 years old, my grandmother bought me a set of tarot cards. That was really the first time that I thought, oh, shit, I need to start reading some books and really try to understand exactly what it is I'm trying to do here. Because suddenly this book that, you know, when you buy, when you get a set of tarot cards, so they were gifted to me for Christmas. Which deck did you get? Uh, It was was called the the Mystic Tarot. I still have them actually. Yeah, beautiful, beautiful set of cards. Um, It comes with a book and in the book, it tells you a lot. And I always say to people now, when when you get a set of tarot cards, you may be in tune, but you need to be in tune with that set of cards. And so I started learning about all these different things. And I thought, oh, actually, I don't need to absorb everything all the time. And I don't always need to be hearing the messages because those who those of us who are listening who have any experience with tarot cards know that they speak to you. They call you. In fact, I used to wake up in the middle of the night sometimes when I got the witch's tarot. It was a gift to me from a friend. And she, she sent them in the mail and she said, look, this is a really powerful deck. Um, she said, but I think you're ready. And seriously, three, four o'clock in the morning, I could hear them calling out to me wow. from the cupboard where they were sitting wow. because there were messages that I needed to be receiving. I didn't know why. But it was not convenient for me. No, so, no. Yeah. <laughs> well, and we don't, you know, one of the things that I think happens when we are younger, and especially if we're sort of in a, in a family that has sensitivities and abilities, but doesn't necessarily have good psychic hygiene, is that you're not being taught that you're allowed to have boundaries. And that it's like, you can tell spirit, like, I'm sleeping, you need to leave me alone right now. But it's interesting, as you're saying, um, you know, like how the cards call to you that it sounds I'm just imagining from what you're saying that you are, you have quite a bit of clairaudience in your, you know, in your skill set or in your in your abilities and that you're sort of it's coming through sort of that auditory thing. Um, You know, whereas, whereas, in my experience, the tarot often expresses itself either through clairvoyance where I'll see visions of things and or I just have claircognizance where I just like I just start talking like I'll pull cards out and I'll just start talking and I just know shit I should not know but you know yeah so I think that depending on the clair the dominant clair that somebody has your experience may be that it's more they call you or more like they flash pictures to you or you're picking something up. But so and that's so always started- been what I've had that. I've always heard first. I can see, I see things, I I feel things, but always hear them first. And that was how I found out that my father had had passed away. Um was well back then I was seven years old. So I called it the little bird. Um that told me your daddy isn't coming home anymore. And then being told the next morning that my father had passed away and not really understanding. Um, you know, my my great aunt, who was my favorite person in the whole world, I'd been to see her and made the stupid mistake of touching her hand and taking on a lot of her bullshit that she had with her. And the minute she died, I heard it. She, They told me. I don't know who it was. It wasn't her, but someone told me and I heard it as a voice behind me. And I don't know if you've heard this. Someone said to me the other day that clairaudience itself is not very common. It's it's more common to be clairvoyant, uh, claircognizant, you know, clairsentient, that type of thing. And as an empath, you are typically clairsentient. Well, actually, I have a theory about that in that I actually think that empaths I actually see a distinction between clairsentience and clair and and empaths. 
because a clairsentient is still aware of the fact that they're sensing things, but they recognize that it's not theirs. Whereas an empath is absorbing. And what I've seen is that empaths absorb information through the dominant channel, sensory channel of the people or the circumstances they're around. So like, for example, if you were around a person who was a very visual person, you might be getting a lot more of the information visually. Whereas if you are more of an auditory person, you might get it very auditorily. And in my experience, empaths often tend to have a lot more clairs than the regular, than the average bear. And so I, I find that a lot of times, but, um, I had actually never heard that clairaudience was less common than clairvoyance. Although I think we live in such a visual culture, it kind of makes sense that the visual would be kind of one of the dominant sort of clairs in our, in our, in our sort of Western society and everything. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. I never heard it either. And they said that to me and I thought, oh, actually, okay. I'm okay with you saying that to me. <laughs> I'm open to learning. I'm opening myself up since we spoke, actually, I mentioned to you that um, I just thought that it was time to start opening the channel a little bit more. And I'm starting very slowly um, because I'm sick now. A lot of people don't know that, but I'm unwell. I don't know if it's COVID. We talked about that, but <laughs> I'm unwell. I've had I had a I had a really high fever the other day, and I've I don't get sick very often. Um, but I think it could also have something to do with slowly breaking down the blocks that I had. And, and yes, and and that I mean that's such an incredibly important thing to be thinking about, and even like it, you know it's sort of like is it live or is it Memorex? Am I am I experiencing empathic distress that's coming through my body because I am I am in the process of recalibrating, or am I actually physically sick? And I think that can be a really hard question for us as we start to make these shifts. Yeah, I didn't want well, my mother to have COVID um, and she started to get the sniffles. And it's been a worry for me since the very beginning of the pandemic that because my mother is a cancer survivor. So she has a weakened immune system. She doesn't have lymph nodes, you know, all the stuff that our bodies need to help filter out the crap. And so that has been a real concern for me from the very beginning. My both uh, both of my nephews, my niece, my sister, her partner all had COVID just recently didn't see them while they had COVID. And my nephew in particular was really bad. Um, my sister thought he had died in his sleep. She had to call the ambulance out to oh see him. Oh my goodness, was, that must have yeah, been really incredibly bad. traumatic. And because they live next door, I saw it all happening and there's nothing you can do. And of course, here I am going, oh, I'm going to break down the walls now. I'm going to start breaking down the blocks. And suddenly I'm absorbing all this crap. And I thought, oh, wow, maybe now is not the time to be breaking down the walls. But now I've come to terms with it. I thought that maybe I was also absorbing some of the stuff from my mother so that she wouldn't have to go through it. Because mm -hmm, mm -hmm. she's fine now. She had a few sniffles, and suddenly I have fever. Can't and get you're rid of the, the one fever. Who's it. Yeah. <laughs> have you ever had the experience of a of having a pet who takes on an illness or a health a health challenge? I haven't, but I have ferrets now, and apparently they do that. Yeah, yeah. I've had a couple pets who have over the years taken things on, and sort of it's like they take the hit for us. And it's just, it's so, it's just so amazing how as, as, as it sort of as, as cells in the body of this planet, like, you know, we take hits for each other. I want to circle back a little bit to the fact that, you know, you were seven years old and you basically got this, you know, the little bird told you and, um, that your, your dad wasn't ever coming back, that he had died. And, from the timeline of it, I'm hearing like, so you had this prophetic experience at the age of seven, where you're basically learning that your father is, has died. And, but then it's like, you're continuing with your sensitivity. That wasn't the point where you shut it down. Like, because you're like walking around like this. I just imagine you must've been the sweetest little kid, like <laughs> with your little crystal, cute. like here, hold my crystal. <laughs> 
I totally, I I can totally like you and I would have been like here. Let's trade yeah. crystals. <laughs> I tried that at school too, and that did not go down well. At I all. don't it imagine it went school. over too well. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> Anything like that, I was told, was Satan's work and the devil's work. Funny enough, the the teacher who confiscated my crystals and my tarot deck from school one time, she went on to work as a psychic here in Australia. She's written a book even. And oh my goodness. I really want to reach out to her. Some, I'm going to try find her one day and just laugh in her face because how dare she make me feel less than when all along she was thinking that what I was doing was okay, but told me instead giving me her guilt because I took on a lot of her guilt that it was the devil's work. I was doing Satan's handiwork. How dare you bring this to school? She confiscated. I never got them back. She never gave them back to me. Yeah. What a bummer. Well, and you know, you this sort of reminds me of the phenomenon with with, you know, queer children. And I mean, I sort of think that whether it's like paranormal or sexuality, that there's different forms of queer. But that, you know, it's so common where you hear these stories about like the most outspoken and the most sort of like homophobic person is the closeted <laughs> person. Yes. And I wonder yeah. if maybe that was part of what was going on with her was that she was actually like really ambivalent about her own sensitivity and her own abilities. And, uh, you know, you were the one who got the brunt of it. Exactly. Yeah. And all of her friends, they were all going to visit psychics and stuff, but at school that was not allowed. And yeah, I, I carried a lot of crap about that after too, um, against her. I've let that go since then. I've forgiven her for what it was, but I'd still like to laugh at her because I just, I'm petty sometimes. <laughs> Sometimes we have to be a little bit petty. <laughs> mm -hmm. Yeah, there's definitely, I mean, there's something, there's a certain, there's a certain kind of pleasure, I don't know, that the whole Schadenfreude thing, you know, where yeah, it's yeah, like, yeah. wow, sucks to be you. So sorry you're having exactly. to go through that, not. Yes, yeah. exactly. Yeah, absolutely. But going back to your question, no, that wasn't the time. That wasn't when I started to, to block things. In fact, it probably spurred me on more. I wanted to know more. It wasn't the first experience that I'd had with, things going weird. I'd been tormented by spirits before. They'd knocked curtains off of my window and um, I could see shadows in, in my while I was a child. And this is why my father was alive. You know, I could hear the sawing going through wood and then my curtains just fell to the ground while I was in bed. I think I was about five years old. I was completely wow. terrified. Yeah. Yeah. Now, have you ever heard... Um the sort of one of the theories about sort of that kind of like poltergeist activity is that often it can be that when you have children or and especially with adolescents, but people who are experiencing a lot of turmoil or, you know, upheaval in their own world, and they have a lot of extra sort of telekinetic ability that it can sometimes it's like an external spirit or ghosts or something that are causing it. But then sometimes it's actually us that are causing these things to go haywire on us and everything. And, and maybe I've the fear was so strong that that they they were able to make that manifest. They were able to make that happen. Yeah, I have heard that before, actually. Hmm. So do you think that with that experience, with the curtains dropping, that this was an entity? Or do you think it was more of your own sort of um, obvious, like, psychic powers? That I'm not sure because before the curtains had fallen, um, I could hear tapping at the window. Um, there was light shining in through the through the side of the curtain. This was back in the eighties, um, so the street lights were outside. I was living in suburbia then. Um, the street lights were shining in through the side of the window, and I could see shadows that were where my wardrobe was sitting and the light was shining against the side of the the wardrobe i could see shadows and i could hear the knocking and that was terrifying uh, to me yeah. then yeah. i could hear the sound of if people can imagine the sound of a saw going through wood you know that 
you know, mm-hmm, that, that mm-hmm. kind of sound. I didn't do a very good impression of a saw, but I, I think we can all, it. I think we can all, <laughs> all imagine what it is. Yeah. yeah. And yeah. then all yeah. of a sudden, kind of like if the, you were watching one of those like Looney Tunes cartoons yeah. or something like that, <laughs> you know, and like exactly. Roadrunner and Coyote. Yeah. 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 So, and then the curtains just fell to the ground. And of course, I screamed my five year old head off. And um, my parents then came into the room to see what was going on. They couldn't understand it. I couldn't understand it. My dad had to get the drill out and whatever and hang the curtains again. And that was it for the night. That was the end of it. But it wasn't the last experience where I call them shadow figures. They were not, they weren't the spirits that were coming to see me throughout all my childhood. I was encouraged to talk to. I was never discouraged from talking to spirits. I was never told they weren't real. I was always encouraged to speak to them. And so I had a relationship with ancestors who had gone before who we'd never had a chance to meet. But um, I, these other, these other beings were different. And I don't know whose crap it was that I was absorbing to make those things happen. Um, And especially as I got older, the attacks became more prevalent. They became more serious. And then I started to build the wall. So it was about, I was about, I think I was probably about 14 when I started learning properly how to block the bullshit. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Well, and it's I didn't really actually block it all, but <laughs> it's it really understandable that you would want to block it when you are experiencing that much engagement. It's funny, your experience and mine in terms of family is very different in that I grew up with atheists who were constantly telling me that I was making shit up. And so there was a lot less validation for that in terms of like, you know, there. I grew up in a world that didn't believe that there was even an afterlife. So, you know, that it was a, that was a slightly different experience, but, um, I love that your at that your family never dissuaded you from communicating with the ancestors and from talking. I'm also thinking as you're talking about the shadow figures and everything, I went through a period when I was, mm, I don't know, like 19, actually, where I went through a phase where there was like these, like, like, and I've heard people talk about them, the thin men, you know, and like, there would be like these gray men, this one gray, you know, standing at the foot of my bed, just standing over my bed, just kind of, I would be stuck in the astral plane, kind of stuck between waking and sleeping and kind of have sleep paralysis. And there would be this dude just standing at the foot of my bed, just looking at me. They weren't ever menacing, but it was just, it was a really creepy feeling. I wonder if, if the kind of shadow figures you were experiencing were similar to those kind of, it's almost like you're kind of caught between dimensions or something. Mm -hmm. These people, these figures that were, that were in the room with me were dressed. um, I say they were dressed like monks. So if you think of the, uh, I'm trying to think what they're called, but the, the monks with the, the brown, hooded suits on and the long robes that's what they were dressed like and there were four of them friars friars yeah yeah Yeah. there were four of them in particular in this in this first experience and it was an astrologer that i'd had contact with that helped me to to get them out to tell me what i needed to do to protect myself block their their energy because they were like psychic vampires they were draining my energy and after the attack i slept for a good 14 hours wow wow yeah it was huge yeah yeah so one of the things that i'm thinking and wondering is whether or not like you were talking about you didn't necessarily understand why these entities and these things are coming at you my sense of it is that actually that when you when there is an when there's a very highly sensitive empathic person around a very psychic person but especially somebody who's like not just sort of like able to sort of separate but just like really is absorbing all of it i actually think that some things are just opportunistic and they're just like Hey, you can hear us. You can see us. We're going to come bother you. We and need to I, talk. <laughs> I had an experience actually a number of years ago. There was this young girl who decided who who sadly, I mean, middle schooler, who was the 
sort of not even dear friend, but kind of like a, a um, an acquaintance of this young girl that I knew, whose mother is a very dear friend of mine. And this girl, basically middle schooler, I mean, like, a, I don't even know, like 11 years old, decided to step off the planet and like, and committed suicide. So this is in Maine that this happens. The aunt of my friend's daughter, so like my friend's sister, and the aunt of my of my friend's daughter, whose friend or acquaintance committed suicide, all of a sudden, she's in Harlem, in New York City. And she's having this child coming to her, asking for help with crossing over because she's stuck. And it was this thing. And so then, then my friend's sister, who's also actually a friend of mine, reaches out to my friend and starts talking. And it's like, oh, yeah, it's this child who has just stepped, you know, crossed over, but is stuck because, you know, suicide doesn't always like get us to where we want to go, at least initially. But it's like, you know, the thing was that there was nobody in the vicinity who was sensitive enough and within her family for this child to be able to communicate. She went, I had to go, she ended up basically because of the association uh, with the, the threat, the girl that I know, it was like, she had this link to this medium and she went that way. So I think sometimes it really is like, it's just that we're the one who can hear it. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. I've had plenty of experiences like that. I don't, I'm not um, Teresa Caputo or anything like that, but it's been often that, you know, you're out and suddenly they're talking to you, which is another reason that you need to protect yourself and you need to put the guard up a little bit. Um, so I learned those things going along, sort of, but I didn't close it all off. I was actually very active. Um, I was working as a psychic. Um, so I was doing readings. I was doing, uh, I had a radio show where we would do readings every single week. We would be on air for two and a half hours. It was beamed across the United States and that led to other things happening. Um, I went and I spoke at the international conference on after death communication in Phoenix, Arizona. That was in 2012. And um, so I was really out there. I was I was working hard and a lot of it I was doing for free, which probably wasn't the best way to do things. <laughs> I was working for peanuts, really. But I did it because I was enjoying doing it. Fast forward to 2014 and I, I was back in Australia. So that was already a couple of years, about three years I'd been out of the country. At the end of 2013, I came back to Australia. 2014, I was then meeting my partner. And that's a whole other story. We can talk about that another time. But in a nutshell, he didn't believe in what I was doing. And started to... Um, you know when someone foo-fooies something? Oh, you can't do that. What are you talking about? You're you're ripping these people off, you know, and because at that time I was charging then for readings and things like that. And it wasn't a lot of money, but to be told that you're ripping someone off by someone who you feel is supposed to be supportive and, and that type of thing. That's when I started building a wall, a big brick wall. <laughs> big brick wall. Yeah. Big well, brick wall. Show yeah. up hands all of you who are listening right now how many of you have had a a a partner or a family member but especially like a a significant other who tells you that what you are doing is complete hooey uh been there done that engaged yeah to i don't know what like that's that about what is that like uh this person in particular is a narcissist a sociopath that's my whole other issue i probably need to be on a different podcast talking about that but uh, <laughs> although i mean the the i was actually interestingly i was just interviewed on a podcast called the empath and the narcissist because uh you know the relationship between empaths and narcissists is like we tend to you know, draw them match, in don't we it's a match made in heaven until it becomes the match made in hell <laughs> but it starts it always starts good there's a reason yeah. we do this. It feels fantastic right. to fall in love with a narcissist until it really stops feeling until it fantastic. Isn't. 
Yeah. Well, that started not feeling fantastic probably three or four years ago. Um, and there was an ex- there was an experience there where I almost lost my life. Um, so I ran away, literally ran away for my life, and um, stupidly opened the door again. And like I said, totally different podcast we need to be talking about. But since I met him and was with him and started feeling like, well, actually, if I don't have your support, I can't do this. I can't be true to myself. I can't do what I'm doing and be honest about what I'm doing because I'm always going to doubt it because you're always casting doubt on what I'm doing. So the wall got bigger. (laughs) The wall got thicker and really heavy until I was not hearing anything anymore. I wasn't feeling anything. I could shake hands with somebody and not get that instant feeling from them because I would pick up on a lot of people, you know, just touching people. You can, you, you tend to know how to, I call it washing yourself where, you know, you touch someone, of course, as an empath, you're going to start picking up on their stuff without wanting to. It's just one of those things that you do as an empath. But you then learn how to wash yourself. So you're not hanging on to it. You can pick it up, but you don't have to hang on to it. Or but I wasn't learn, even getting yeah, that anymore. You learn, you learn how to let it flow through you. And yeah, also yeah. at a certain point, I really believe, I have found that there is a point where you can learn to consciously filter and shield before going into a situation so that if you are going to lay hands on somebody and you, you know, it's like there's a, there is a protective barrier between you. There's like a filter and a protective barrier between you and them. You still pick up on it though. You know, even with that filter, Jen, you can still feel that it's there. Yeah. You can sense it, but then it's like, for me, it's that then it gets to be this point of making the deliberate decision to not ping it. Like I might touch it. I might sense something that is going on and I might, I might feel it a little bit like in my hand, but, but what I've learned to do is I've learned how to not go there, like to not double down on it or dive in because, because I do think that there is a boundary between sensing something and then kind of doing the psychic probe that so many of us are so good at. And especially if we have reasons for needing to be hypervigilant in our families of origin and stuff like that, that we just sort of, as soon as we sense any kind of distress, we have this tendency to kind of double down on it or kind of like try to figure out what's going on. So for me, like there's a really big difference in like just noticing or sensing versus then diving into it. Mm, yeah, yeah, for sure. I can I could totally relate to that. Um I wasn't even getting that anymore. No, wow. I, yeah, I was so closed off. I think they call it psychic constipation. So you're so <laughs> you're so blocked up and and I really did. I was just suppressing everything and I just didn't want to know about it anymore, so I wasn't getting any messages anymore. And, you know, it used to be someone could come to me within a few minutes, I could tune into them, you know, do the whole touch thing, whatever. And I could do it until we spoke. I could, I was not doing that anymore. But I need to, I need to break down that wall. And I feel as though my doing this pod, so my, not this podcast, but utterly unscripted has exposed me to some people that I actually never thought I would be exposed to. I didn't think that people like yourself and there are a couple other people, we talk about psychic children. There's a couple of other, you know, celebrities, let's say, quote unquote, celebrity psychics. They don't know that I'm talking about them. Um, (laughs) But I never thought that I would be exposed to those people again. And I'm so glad that I have been because I realize I need to come back to that. It's that calling, you know, you've got the calling, come back. Yeah, exactly. Thank you. I really feel it's time. And without skipping a beat, it's been happening. You know, uh, people are coming to me and they're saying, oh, by the way, do you still do blah, 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 blah. Which, and I haven't been asked that now for four or five years. Crazy. 
but they're coming to me. I didn't even put it out there. I just, all I thought was I need to break down the walls and I need to, um, I guess I want to call it cleanse my karma. I need to do a bit of karmic cleansing because I seem to be sitting in like hell. I'm angry. I'm, I'm frustrated. I feel all these negative feelings and I shouldn't be feeling that I never used to be that kind of person. And with that also you get sick. You, you know, you start to, like I said, constipation. Yeah, Yeah. exactly. Well, and I actually, I really, I'm two thoughts that are coming to my mind. One is I'm curious about when like time wise, was it like, what year did you really start to shut it all down and put up the wall? Like when did 2014? It was November 11, 2014. November 11, 2014. So like two years before, you know, like things really got weird in America. (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) And subsequently affected the rest of the world. I actually kind of wonder if maybe there was almost like a part of you that just was like, I just need like, I need to tap out for a while because like so much was coming down the pike because it has been one wild and crazy ride since like 2016 and all y'all are listening you can do the math and figure out what i'm talking about yeah (laughs) he's my favorite that's my favorite topic actually utterly unscripted i'm sure that anybody who listens are like oh my god you're talking about this again yes well Well, if you guys want if you guys want to hear like me like unfiltered and actually getting rather political go check out jesse's podcast utterly unscripted because we go into it and we let it rip like you said we could have talked for hours and i would have happily done that but i think people also tune out you know they they don't want to listen for two hours. I could easily talk for two, three, four hours. I have no problem with that whatsoever. And I invite anybody who wants to, to do that. I might split your show up, you know, your episode might get split up into two or three parts, but um, it also allows me to say, Hey, come back, come Mm -hmm. back and do Mm -hmm. this again, because we've got so much more to talk about. So much more to talk about. Yeah. So much more to talk about. It's a safe space. Yeah. So I, I actually, so, you know, we're talking about how you really, so, so I got the first piece of my question out, which was, you know, when did this start for you? But then the second piece of the question that I've got for you is, you know, you talked about where you sort of hinted at like the impact of shutting it down and like, how has this affected you? And, you know, I know that because I've heard so many people talk about, over the years, like one of the things I've heard people say is like, I wish I could control it. I wish I, I wish I could stop it. I wish I didn't have to feel these things. But the thing is that as you and I both know, it doesn't really work very well to shut it down. I'd love to hear like, what did you actually experience? Like, what have you been experiencing since basically like for the last eight years? Since you sort of like decided you tapped out and you're like, I'm done. I'm not going to be c- continuing to pick this up. How has that affected you? Like what has happened for you as a result of not <laughs> listening, not receiving? Where do I start? Where do I start? Um, I've had chronic depression, severe anxiety, post-traumatic stress disorder, which I cannot seem to let go of, which I don't think I would have held on to for as long as I have if I were still in tune and able to to feed it out there to the universe because I wasn't. But also, just like when you cork up a fizzy bottle or something like that and you shake it, which is exactly what we're doing with ourselves and, and you know, we are the fizzy bottles <laughs> and our empathic abilities are the fizz inside and we're being shaken, but with a cork in it, eventually things just come in. Yeah. And they do. And I, and I do still, as much as I block it out and I say that I don't want anything to do with it, I still have no choice. Sometimes I just see stuff. Sometimes I hear shit. Sometimes I feel, oh, actually not sometimes, a lot of the time I feel stuff. Whether I want to or not, doesn't matter how high that wall has been or how thick I've built it. There's just stuff Sorry about the ticking sound. Um, there was just stuff that came out still. It, well, and, it's and, inevitable. 
it's like, you know, it's like you still feel the rumble under your feet. You still, you still get that. And, um, I don't know if you've been having this experience, but I've, the last week has been a doozy for a lot of people I've spoken to, like since about like last Saturday until about Wednesday, like right around as the moon, once the moon sort of shifted into Leo and we got into the new moon, it got a little bit, it, feel, it feels like it kind of shifted. But I was talking to so many people who were having nightmares, who were experiencing heart palpitations, like vagus nerve dysregulation, all kinds of discomfort. And a lot <laughs> of us have been like, <laughs> and a lot fever. of us have been like, what's coming? Like, because I don't know if you have this experience, but it seems like, especially as sort of everything has been heating up, more and more of us have been kind of having that sort of like premonition kind of foreboding prior to things happening. Yeah. 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 And I, you're, you're absolutely, well, Wednesday, uh, what day is today? I don't even know anymore. Today's but Friday. Wednesday was, so yeah, Wednesday night, I had an unbearable fever. I was hallucinating. That's how bad the fever was. I well, I don't know what it was in Fahrenheit, but my my body temperature was thirty nine point nine Celsius. A human is supposed to be like thirty seven point five, I think, or thirty eight point five. Yeah, and bad. Celsius is substantially like where two degrees in Fahrenheit is two degrees. Like I think that the the it, 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 there's no comparison. Yeah, yeah. No comparison. I think it was close to 100 anyway. I think it was um, 30, 39, I think, is about 100 odd, maybe 101 degrees. I'm not entirely sure, and I, I don't have my converter. But yeah, it's I mean, it's so yeah. so the net average, your average temperature should be somewhere in the, around, I mean, 98.6 is the standard temperature. And, you know, like, and it's, if you're hallucinating, sounds like you probably had a temperature that was probably over 100 for Higher. sure. Higher, <laughs> yeah. I was really close high. to calling the ambulance and going to the emergency room but i just know this is the other thing my empathic thing was shining through because i know that it's not the place to go so unless i thought i was dying i really didn't want to do that i didn't want to put those people under that pressure because a hospital is the worst place to go to for someone who is an empath um and especially someone who is in this transition that i am in which is now i'm breaking down this six foot wide wall (laughs) Right, right, right. <laughs> Six foot wide, 2,000 feet tall wall. And I don't want to be letting all of that in. I don't want that to be where I'm going with it. So I avoided it. But I was, I was, that was my most unwell day. So, like you said, when the moon was really changing, we were really going into that new cycle. Oh boy, was I. Yeah butt kicker. You know, I wanted to just throw something out because you were mentioning or talking about sort of like the the prolonged feelings of PTSD. And um, one of the things that has really made a huge difference for me, and it's kind of one of the, in my opinion, one of the best kept secrets on the planet is that EFT, emotional freedom technique or tapping, which is the thing that I'm trained in and I'm actually trained other people to do as well. It's really new is, to me, actually. It's one of the most spectacularly effective ways to deal with PTSD and difficult past events and stuff where we are just carrying things around. And it can really, like it's designed, what it does is it's a form of emotional acupuncture or acupressure really. But what it will allow us to do is actually reboot the amygdala, which is the part of our brain that controls our fight or flight mechanism. And instead of us being in a perpetual state of like danger, Will Robinson, danger, danger, we can actually reset it and reboot it. So stick with me, kid. Uh, You know, there are there are resources that can really, really help and really make a difference. Anyone who's listening, by the way, they should be subscribing. If they're not already subscribed to your emails and stuff, I've been getting them. Now, I'm not a woman, but I'm all about woman, women empowerment. And you write from that perspective, which I absolutely fucking love. Oh, oh, sorry. I did say fuck. But anyway, and then I just it's said it again. Good. Oh, my God. <laughs> but I love it. I love it. And I don't feel like I'm being... I don't know what that word is. I don't feel like it's written for someone else. When you you know when you're reading something, you go, "Oh, this is written for women." I don't feel like that at all. So please, like, if you are listening and you haven't done that yet, go and subscribe to 
like on your website because I did it after we talked and I thought, I wonder what I'm going to get out of it. And so I've been subscribed now for a couple of weeks, I guess. And these emails that I'm getting have helped me so much. I am so thrilled to hear that. I'm so thrilled Thank to hear you. that. Yes. And if people are interested, you can jump on over to empathicsensitivity.com to sign up. And if you get a copy of my book, Empathic Mastery, which you can get it over at empathicmasterybook.com, there is a very special mini course, which I suspect is what you got, which um, allows, which I take you through the whole thing. And I will just say, I just niched with the word female because it's like when you're talking about thinking about who you're working with, getting specific is really helpful. But I am an equal opportunity. I, I mean, empaths come in all shapes, forms and sizes and genders. I think it's coming from a different place though, Jen. It's not coming from that whole gender, female is whatever. When you look at the universe and, and as an empath or someone who has a psychic ability and if you've done any type of work with spirit, you know that the energy is, um, I would, I would say majority of the energy is coming across female anyway. It, it feels when you, when you're out there and you're talking, there's just, a an embrace, an embracing feeling a nurturing feeling, which is what we as humans associate with female. And look, I grew up with a sister and a mother, no father in the house after seven years old. I'm all for female empowerment. Females are the future. Absolutely. And they need to be treated equally. We need to see things changing, which we're not seeing fast enough. It's, it's really offensive that this. Well, this, actually, we are stalled, seeing things you know? changing very rapidly. We're just seeing things change in the opposite direction. In the wrong direction, yeah. <laughs> I, I, I honestly do believe, though, that what is happening is we have a five thousand year old wound that is like it's like we're lancing the boil. That's this is stuff that has been brewing for a really long time, and God bless all of us who are alive right now. We are. You know, it's like we are here for the change, but we've got to look at the stuff that's really broken and, and acknowledge it and address it before it's going to fully transition, you know, shift out. I feel like a lot of us have done that exact thing. So 2016 was a time when a lot of us had to set up some bound, not boundaries so much, but like the walls, we had to block a lot of the negative energy out. And as a, as a result of that, we've become a little bit apathetic. And so now it's like, uh, you know, nothing I do will change anything. It just seems to be happening anyway, you know, and we feel there's defeated. There's also compassion fatigue. You know, there's also the fact that, and there's also like we as human beings, like the way that stress works and trauma works is that it is not supposed to be chronic. It is supposed yeah. to be acute. <laughs> we acute, have endured yeah. as a species two and a half years of existential trauma where we have been dealing with the, I mean, we have even in the United States alone, I think we have hit, we, we've surpassed a million deaths from COVID. We have been through the ringer as a species. And, and I mean, you know, not to mention George Floyd, not to mention all of the revoking of women's rights, not to mention all of the wars that are going on, not to mention all of the financial distress that people are experiencing, uh, the climate change and all of this. There, it's like, and the thing is, as human beings, we are not made. We were, we were designed the way our nervous system is designed and the way our stress is designed to work is that we experience danger. Our fight or flight system kicks in. The adrenaline kicks in. We get the cortisol. We run it off. We deal with it. And we, and then we get out of harm's way and we shake it off. We reboot. But we have been in this process of perpet, of like, doubling down on stress at this point for like two and a half years, what is happening is our nervous systems are worn out. And so we're experiencing almost like trauma fatigue where we just cannot process anymore. So a lot of people are tapping out, not because we don't care, but simply because it's like if you just keep stretching an elastic and stretching an elastic and stretching an elastic, eventually it's either going to lose all of its elasticity or it's eventually going to just snap. 
And I think that's what's happening with us is that even those of us who are super, super empathic, there's just that point where we're just like, ah, I'm done. Done. Yeah. And imagine that there are people out there, I know there are because I'm one of those people who's been dealing with other trauma on top of what we've been dealing with for the last two years. You know, I've been through financial abuse, physical abuse, mental, verbal, um, all this stuff, all this shit that we've been bombarded with. Then there's... I know that I don't live in the United States, but everything that happens there definitely affects what happens here. And we have had our own crap as a result. I don't know whether, you know, like this, this fatigue thing, and it's just, oh, I can't be dealing with it anymore. So for four years, almost we were dealing with with our own mini dictator here in Australia, who, you know, I mean, it's, it's shameful. But I think we're hitting the point now as we come out of the pandemic, we're hitting a point where we're going to take a bit of a corner. We're going to turn the corner. And I think that things will start getting better slowly, but they will. They will start getting better. They have to. Well, since you and I last spoke for your episode, actually, I channeled an entire book. <laughs> Fantastic. And one of the things that my counsel, because I have this 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 counsel of 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 divine source that talks, they call themselves the council of we. But what they were explaining to me is that we are in the process of moving out of a 5000 year old retrograde as a species and as a planet, that we have been in this sort of galactic retrograde as a planet where we have been really in this process of learning, but we are just on the verge of like pivoting out of this retrograde. But it is not an easy period because it's like it's hard. It's like we're we're in it right now. Yeah, we can yeah. all relate to that. What transition is easy, but what we have to roll yeah. with it and embrace it and get ready because the next step in the journey is going to be fantastic. Absolutely, that was what they were saying too. It's like they're like trust, trust, trust. Yeah. And the other thing they were saying is, you know, time and space is an illusion. If you exist now, you exist. Like, they're like, it's all good. Just like, yes, it's, yes, as a human and a human body, it is hard. There's no denying that. And just, you know, breathe through it. Keep breathing. Keep breathing. Breathe through it. I like that. Breathe through it. I cannot believe how fast this conversation, how how fast the time has gone. (laughs) I mean, it's like, and and I just I love the fact that you just like happen to sort of like drop this little like bomb about the fact that you were working as a professional psychic for years. Oh, by the way, I was a medium and a psychic for years. You know, like I yeah. know. Yeah. But like I said, I've been blocking it all out. I I built those walls up. I haven't talked about it until now. This is the first time that I've actually talked about it since November 11, 2014. So I'm, I'm thinking that I had had a name for this. I had a name for uh, this episode, but I'm actually thinking I might call you the, re- call the episode something like the reluctant psychic, you know? <laughs> I'm happy with that. It sounds yeah. good. Yeah. yeah. I'm not so reluctant anymore, but I have you to thank for that. And, and of course, other people, you know, if there are other people listening who I've talked to, especially light workers, people who have helped me to realize that I need to be back in tune with my abilities. But of course, there needs to be boundaries. Everybody needs to have boundaries. And that is the most important. Absolutely. And now I'm setting the boundaries and I need to stick to them. Well, and as you were saying, you know, you came from a family with a lot of ability, but not necessarily with a lot of boundaries. And so you, you know, it's like this is and this is, I think, the really important thing for all of us as highly sensitive, empathic, psychic, intuitive people is really, like really establishing and maintaining and recognizing what our boundaries are. Like it is so essential. So I love that you're speaking about boundaries. So Jesse, as we are coming towards the end of this, of the hour, how do people get in touch with you? I mean, you, I, and, and this will be also be included in the show notes, but like, tell us about your podcasts. Well, utterlyunscripted.com is the website. I'm sort of working on that as we go along, but you can find me there. And um, I'm trying very hard to become this social media. (laughs) I'm not very good at it, Jen. I suck. Um, 
But you can find me on Facebook, um, Utterly Unscripted. You can find me on Instagram. Um, it's actually really easy. Gonna be Jesse. Gonna be Jesse. And I just came up, I came up with that after we talked because I thought, actually, I'm just gonna be Jesse. So Instagram, TikTok, Twitter, gonna be Jesse. Oh, Jesse Veritas is Twitter, but I'm there anyway. Utterly Unscripted will get you everywhere. Fantastic. Fantastic. And all of this will be included in the show notes so you guys can find Jesse. And I highly recommend checking out Jesse's podcasts and giving, give Jesse a follow, you know, please, please, because he is, and he's just a delight to talk to. And I'm sure that you will get a lot from listening to these conversations that Jesse is bringing into the world. Jesse, thank you so much for such a thank great, you, rich conversation. This has been wonderful. It has been so much fun. I really appreciate you having me. Ah, my pleasure. As we come to the end of this episode, I'd love to hear what you're taking from this show. Please jump over to EmpathicMasteryShow.com to leave your comments. In the show notes, you'll find a link to grab your copy of My Empathic Safety Guide, Three Basics for Finding Calm in the Eye of the Storm, and... While you're there, please subscribe and follow this show. And thank you for your help sharing this show with the people who need it. Please help me to spread the word and send this podcast to friends or family members who need support living as highly sensitive empathic people. Then join me again when the next Empathic Mastery Show airs. Okay, one last time. Hop over to EmpathicMasteryShow.com for your empathic safety guide. And until next show, shine on. We need you and your gifts here on this planet, so please don't judge your empathic rainbow by colorblind standards.